recovery and getting to uh, see some of you again on the way in uh, is just really, really awesome, and I'm so glad that God has us here. We believe that God has us here this morning for a reason, that it's just not an accident that you showed up here, whether you were invited here or found us on the webpage or felt like it was just kind of random. We believe that we're here uh, for a reason. Um, you guys are up here for a reason. Um, one of those things that we love to do uh, is uh, to come together and to uh, pray for one another. Um, we know that we come through these various weeks, and the week has been crazy, the week has been wild, we've struggled with different things, and so as we come together, um, we know that there's things that we need prayer for. And so we're going to have a time of prayer. We have two people that are going to lead us in that time of prayer. Uh, one is Fiona Lawler, um, who is uh, part of our youth group. And uh, Fiona, what are you going to pray for today? For everyone to have faith. Amen. Amen. Okay, that we would have faith. And this is Jeremy, uh, who's actually on our staff, leads our youth, and uh, you get yours too. I think that was your wife, right? I began that. So um, what are you going to pray for? Uh, just that God would remove the veil and allow us to see him. Okay. All right. Well, church, we want to pray for you, so if you would join us uh, as we pray for you. Dear God, today I want to pray for the church to have faith in you. And just know that wherever they are in life, that you can help them. And you're in charge, and you have a plan for everyone. Amen. And um, whether it's moving across the country, the world, or getting baptized, that this is for your glory. And that's what life boils down to in the end. Lord, I just thank you so much um, just for who you are, for your presence. I want to pray, Lord, for the congregation today that you would remove the veil that you would allow them to see you for who you are, and that you would allow them to, as a result, see themselves for who they are in their life. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would help us realize that, that you are so glorious, that you'd help us realize just how glorious, how magnificent you are. And as a result, you would help us realize our mission, that we wouldn't just come to church, that we wouldn't just do the church things, Lord, but we realize that that your presence and your glory is the goal of our lives, that that is the reason for our existence. I pray that you'd help us prioritize our lives in such a way. I pray that you'd help us not be distracted by the, the random things of the day or the tests or the, or the deadlines, Lord, but that we would realize that your glory matters most, that you have called us, that you have chosen us to proclaim your glory. Lord, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Lord, I just thank you for what you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, that we'd stop looking at this world and deadlines and issues that we have, and we'd see it for, for what it really is, a spiritual battle where we are standing in center stage to proclaim your glory. I pray, Lord, that we would stand up and proclaim it loudly and boldly, that you are God of the universe and worth it all, and that our lives would show that. Help us make that step to, to proclaim your glory and to see you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, well, thank you. Um, and uh, youth, if you are in uh, grades 5 through 12, uh, I'm going to go ahead. You're going to follow Jeremy and Fiona out those doors um, to your time of, of teaching. Thanks for being here with us, youth. Um, like we like to say here, you are not uh, the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. So uh, thank you for being in with us this morning. Um, we're going to get into our time of teaching. We can open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Um, you can go ahead and open up your Bible app if you want to find the Bible through that, or if you uh, 
don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one of these Bibles. Uh, just put up your hand. We really want everybody to have a Bible. We're going to be going through uh, lots of scriptures today. I want you to be able to look at these throughout the week. And so uh, put up your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. And then you'll find Ephesians uh, in the New Testament on page 837 is where we'll be today in Ephesians 2. Um, we are going to be in a short two-week series where we're talking about life. Uh, as the church, life in the church. Uh, everything that we do in following Jesus really happens in the context of uh, the church. And so we want to kind of get to know what it is um, that we believe about the church, how it is that we live uh, together in the church to experience the life that Christ has for us. So uh, if you've been with us, you know we just finished a series called Ignite, where we were talking a lot about our passions, our purpose, our calling, how God has gifted us uh, in this life. And so a lot of that happens in and through the church. And so uh, as we come off of that series, we need to know some things about the church. Um, and we're going to get ready for a new series. James referred to it um, in the announcements. But in two weeks on February 21st, we are getting into our discipleship series where we're going to talk about uh, how, what is discipleship, why we do it, how we do it. Um, really, it's at the heart of who we are as a church. Everything we do, our mission is to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. So all these different definitions we have about discipleship, really the way that we look at it, as a church here, uh, it's not just following Jesus, but it really is the way that we change the world. Jesus uh, started with a few disciples, and through that, he changed uh, the world. That's the reason we're here today. So we want to get to understand discipleship and how it is the way that we continue through Jesus and through his spirit to change the world. So that's in two weeks, February 21st. Uh, but for now, we are in uh, this two-week series on the church. The church is the context for living out our life in in Christ. Uh, we talk about definitions. Uh, I wonder if we were to kind of survey everybody that's here, all the diversity of backgrounds that we have here, the diversity of people that we have here, uh, if we were to uh, ask that question, the church, uh, what is the church? And we were to fill in some blanks and say the church is blank. Uh, on your note page, there's four blank lines. I'm going to give you some, some things to fill in there, but, but I just wonder this morning, if you were to fill in those lines, what are the things that would first come to your mind? Uh, sometimes we talk about the place that we go on Sunday morning, the hour on Sunday morning. Some of us may say, well, the church is for me. Uh, the place where uh, I learned God's word, the place where I get taught. Uh, for some of us, and maybe kind of the, the place after a long week where we come in and we refocus uh, on God, where we show up and uh, we, as we sing and as we do what we do on a Sunday morning, we'd say, uh, the church is where I experience uh, God on a Sunday morning. Uh, some of us may say, well, in the church, I uh, experience care in my life, where, where I go to uh, make friends, to build relationships. Maybe for uh, those of you who are younger, say that's where I go to meet some older men and women who have uh, been through some of the things that you've been through. All these different things that we may put about what the church is, where we serve, where we accomplish our mission. What is it that you would put in filling in those blanks? Um, there may be some truth in all of those things that I just mentioned, um, but the reality is the church is more than any one of those things. Um, the church is even more than the sum list of all of those things. 
And so what we want to uh, come to grasp during this series is what is uh, the church? And I, I hope that we'll grasp a larger view of the church, who it is that we're together, what God has planned in us, and how we live out our life in Christ together to be what it is that you desire, whether it's the teaching, whether it's the relationships, the care, any of those things. How is it we come together to receive those things in our lives, but even more than what we desire, how is it we come together to be who Christ desires us to be, who Christ actually died for us to be? Now, as we begin, um, there's a couple groups here that I really want to, to address um, because as we go through, I'm going to go through a lot of stuff about the church today, and I know that there are some people this morning uh, who probably showed up and just say, you know what, I just need some practical answers in my life. You know, I'm struggling in finances, and my, my marriage is on the rocks, uh, my parenting is out of control, and I just need some practical answers. I'm struggling with sin. Can you just speak to that? Um, and we do speak to those uh, things as we go through. But what we need to understand is that our Christian life is more just than about getting quick practical answers. Uh, and so we need to know some things because um, maybe you're not struggling today, but one day you will be. And we need to learn how it is that we walk together and not just receive practical answers, but, but live together to help one another. Um, the other group that I really want to um, address are those that have been hurt by the church in the past. Um, I'm going to say some things about the church where I'm going to talk like it's, it's the, the dearest place on earth. Like, like it's the most awesome thing. And some of you will sit here and say, I didn't experience that. You know, I, I was hurt by the church. You're talking about church leadership, and I can look back at leaders who let me down, who failed me, who, who actually... Uh, put a lot of hurt in my life, and now I'm just finally getting back uh, to showing up to a place, and of course, we're going to talk about the wonderful thing that church is. I, I want you to know, because up on stage here, I'm the pastor guy, right? Uh, I'm uh, a leader of the church, so of course, I, you're going to be like, uh, he's going to say things uh, about the good of the church, uh, but I want you to know uh, my background. I grew up in the church. Um, I I uh, had a father who was a leader in the church, a mom who taught Sunday school in the church for 35 years. I kind of grew up uh, with a front row seat to church life. And I'll tell you, having done that, I've seen the hurts. I've seen the pains. I've seen people walk through things in the community of, of Christ, the community of Christians that were hurtful and that were painful. I've seen those. I know uh, those broken things. Maybe even you're in our church here. You say, oh, I've experienced some broken things here. I, I know. I've seen those. But I, I can also tell you that I've seen the good in the church. I've seen after my father passed away, um, suddenly, how my mom, who had invested all those years in others, um, was then, you know, she was a widow. And I would call her for like the next two or three years. And every night she's like, yeah, I'm going out to dinner with so-and-so. They're taking me out. They're, they're caring for me. Uh, to see a community that cared in the time of deepest need. I can, there's one season in my life um, when I didn't have the community of the church. It was a season that lasts about four years in college. Uh, and I'll tell you, those were that was a season when I was in the muck and, and the mire. And, and I missed having a community that would uh, speak into my life, a guide to spur me on uh, in the life with Christ. Without the community, I floundered in the muck and mire. But I also experienced the grace of God that when uh, he calls us back, that we, in his grace can come back and to be, to be used by God 
to, to be loved by God, to uh, be in a community of grace that if you've been in the muck and the mire, there's still a place for you uh, in the church. And so I hope and I pray um, that, that as we come to this, that wherever we've been, we'll be able to see this because I've seen, I've experienced the bad, I've experienced the, the, the good. I, I think as we look to the scriptures, we see that Christ has a desire, Christ has a plan, Christ has a vision for his church. And, and I know in my heart, my hope is that we will be able to lead us to be who Christ has called us to be. So as we get into uh, his word, let, let's go first to prayer uh, to be able to invite him to come to lead us forward. God, thank you for each person that's here. You know where we're at this morning. You know the practical answers that we need. You know the hurts and the pains of the past. You know the way that you've shaped us, gifted us, the way that you're calling us. So God, I pray that you would come through your spirit, speak to each person here. Would we be spirit-empowered hearers of your word? And may I be a spirit-empowered speaker of your word. God, I come before you as a leader of this church and confess we have not always been worthy of being called the bride of Christ or the body of Christ. But I pray that we would have open ears, that we would have open hearts. We surrender ourselves, that you would come, that you would lead us to be who you've called us to be. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, a lot to cover this morning and only a little bit of time. So we're going to blaze through some stuff. We're going to go through some scriptures. Um, we're going to go through some practical things. Looking at what is the church? What is the gathering of this people that is here? I mean, we show up here. What, what is this? Anyway, we're going to find an answer in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, Ephesians is a letter written to a church in a city of Ephesus, and here is what is written. They were a good church, actually, but the Apostle Paul is writing to them, calling them to remember who they are in Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 12 begins, it says this, Remember that you, church, were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace." And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, Jesus came, and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians 2, we have this amazing description of the church. Now, the context here, as we talk about those who are near, those who are far off, uh, 
Paul was writing uh, to a group of people. Some of them came from a Jewish background. They were uh, from the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people. Uh, And then in the Greek world, which Ephesus was a Greek city, you now have these non-Jewish people. And what we know about the gospel of Jesus is that it doesn't really matter what our background was. When Jesus came, it was for both the Jew and the Gentile, those who had been his people for uh, centuries and generations before, and those who were brand new to it. And Jesus came in and through the gospel brought peace to everybody who would believe in Christ, believe in his sacrifice on the cross. And so we read those words that you were far from God. You were hopeless. You were alienated from the people of God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, abolishing the law of the commandments that none of us could meet. But through the grace of Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. This is the gospel that we were far from God, we were hopeless, we had no hope of salvation in and of ourselves, but Jesus came and he has brought those of us who have no church background, those of us who were born in church background, he brings us together to be his people. He gathers us together in the gospel. The church is a people gathered in the gospel, people that have been saved by Jesus. And he writes and he says this, that he's brought peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. There are some of those who were near, like me, that, that grew up in the church. Okay? And uh, we grew up basically reading the Bible stories. And you know, by the time we got to elementary school, we were doing sword drills. And uh, we were in Awanas and earning all of our badges. And um, those of you who are those, you know uh, those terms. And some of us have known Jesus. We were legitimately saved by Jesus at an early age. And we are part of the church. And then there were some of us who maybe mom and dad brought us to church. But we learned from an early age. We didn't kind of, we didn't add up. You know, when it came to opening our Bible, we didn't know where to turn and nobody ever really taught us. And so when we came to an age, um, we said, you know what, I'm done with that. And we walked away. And maybe at some point, Jesus has called you back. Maybe even today, he's calling, calling you back. And uh, so there were some of us who were near and some of us who were far off. There are some of us who, mom and dad, not only did they not bring us to church, they weren't even ever in the picture. And we were far off, left to wander on our own. And maybe we went through years, maybe we went through decades of life, far off, hopeless, until one day, Jesus got a hold of our heart and brought us together. And so as we look at the church as the people of God, there were some of us who have always been a part of the church, some of us who have come from far off, but the gospel of Jesus brings us all together. And so we arrive in this place, all different backgrounds. This is the grace of Jesus, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that there's hope for us in the people of God. We are a community of grace built on the gospel. We are a people redeemed by Christ, living in his Holy Spirit, And we look at these verses here, built on the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, guiding, direct us, being built up into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. You know how it was in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, there was a temple in the Holy Land where to experience God's presence, you had to go there, to the temple. And so it was all about the place, it was all about the building. 
since Jesus came, since his Holy Spirit came on all people, is no longer about the building. We are saved by Christ. We are his dwelling place. Not a building that we go to, but a people that is gathered. That's why we can go, we can have church out in the park like we do sometimes in the summer. And the church is just as much the church out there as it is here as it would be if we were over in Jerusalem. That is why we can come week after week into a room that is a high school that hosts performing arts and we can say, you know what, we're not a building. We are a people that come and gather in a place That's one thing that I love about being in a facility like this. I know that there's some challenges that come with setup and this and that, but the wonderful thing is that it is a constant reminder to us, the church isn't the building. The church is the people who have been redeemed by Christ, who are living in his Holy Spirit, who are living for the glory of God. We are being built up for God's glory through advancing the good news gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. This is what the church is. So in the midst of all those things that we get out of church, when it comes down to it, we have to talk about the people who have been redeemed by Jesus, who are living in the Holy Spirit, who are living for God's glory, not ourselves, who are advancing his good news to those who have not yet come into the gathering of God's people. That we would define church not just by our own desires, but by Ephesians 2. There's a quote in your notes. Um, I don't use quotes a lot because I know Jesus said uh, enough and we tend to look at what Jesus said and what the Bible says. Uh, But this is a quote by uh, a preacher named Charles Spurgeon who uh, was over in England uh, about a century ago. And uh, this is what he says. Speaking to followers of Jesus, he says, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, And I hope that you almost feel glad that you have not. If you had never joined a church till you had found one that was perfect, you would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. The church as the dearest place Yeah, I don't know if you've ever thought of it as that. Um, Jesus loves his church. Jesus died for his church. Uh, In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, another phrase that in this series we really want to grab a hold of. 1 Timothy 3, 15. Paul, writing to the young pastor Timothy, writes this and he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The belief about what the church is, a pillar and a buttress of the truth, that's because we hold the word of God and we advance the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, the truth in the midst of a culture. God cares about that. Even more so, he says that this is the household of God, the church of the living God. And we need to know how to behave, how to live in the household of God. In fact, a letter to another young pastor named Titus, uh, Titus 1 verse 5, it says that he was put there 
put into order which remained out of order. Order and organization in the church that we may live as Christ has called us to. I think we appreciate order in life. I mean, those of you that are going to the university, it's nice in a university this size that we're able to uh, enter in one way, to take classes in an organized way, and to end up with something as the result. That is productivity. And those of you who order books on Amazon, you appreciate order, that you can click something and somewhere there is organization, there's order that makes things happen, that delivers. Uh, for those of us, no matter what we may say about government, how much we may complain about the government, about police. I tell you, I think that we appreciate that there's some level of organization. And if we don't, then we can go to other parts of the world where there is no order and see if we enjoy life there. We appreciate organization. We appreciate in our own households organization. Um, I'm not talking about the type of order where everything is tidy and in place and all the laundry is done and folded and in its right spot, though some of us certainly appreciate that. I'm talking about the type of order where the kids have clothes on. <laughs> that type of order. And I tell you, a lot of us can take that for granted, but remember, my wife was an elementary school teacher um, before we moved to California, and she did her student teaching in a, uh, a neighborhood in New York, which was a prison community, which meant generally at least half the parents weren't home. And the kids, one day they had to do a well care checkup on one of the kids and they walked in and they saw a little kid standing in their underpants carrying what they thought at first was a doll around the house. And it turns out that it was another baby. And we can look at that and we can say, that's more than unfortunate, that's more than inconvenient, that's downright appalling that a household would function like that. But I have to say that I think God feels the same way about his household, that there is to be order, that there is to be organization, that we can be who he's called us to be. The guy would say, not in my household. They can't have uh, the kids running around unclothed, the kids running around uncared for, people running around wandering, even though we have the truth, not being taught it properly. And so there is to be order in the household, and he provides, God is such a good God that he provides for his church. If we move a couple chapters beyond Ephesians 2 into Ephesians 4, uh, see, such an incredible passage. I'm just going to read a chunk of it, and then I'll, I'll highlight a small part, but go back and read this. Ephesians 4, verse 4 says this, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, quoting a passage from the Old Testament, when he, meaning Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What this is a picture of is this. Jesus, after going to the cross, uh, he rose from the dead. He spent some time with his followers to prepare them to continue his work as the church. And then he, in front of their eyes, ascended into heaven. And what this passage pictures us to is that for his church, as he was ascending in all his glory, that he 
gave gifts to his church in order that the church could accomplish what he desired them to do. And so he gave those gifts. And what were those gifts? Verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers that they might equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Here's the truths, okay? Jesus gives life to his church, right? We believe that, okay? That Jesus gives life to his people. He saves us, and then he gives us life for all eternity, but life that begins today. So he gives us salvation for eternity. He gives us life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, Jesus gives life. What we learn in this passage is that Jesus gives gifts of leadership to his church. That we can function as he's called us to. If you put those together, Jesus' plan and God's sovereign plan is that he would give his people life and lead us to experience life in him through gifted leadership in the church. Not salvation. Salvation comes through Christ alone. But in order to fulfill our calling, to fulfill our purpose, to experience life in his community as he's called us to be, to go to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus, to advance the gospel. He gives leadership to bring organization and order, uh, to be able to lead forward. Now that is a truth from Scripture. Jesus loves his church. He gifted his church. He's given that. But I think when that truth comes to us, many of us have different barriers, different shields that, that go up to that truth. Maybe because of hurts that we've experienced, Maybe it's some other things in our lives. You know, maybe it's because as Americans, right, we tend to buck authority. You know, go back to uh, colonial America. You know, we revolted against the king, down with authority. It won't have authority over me. Maybe it's because something that you can cling on to in the church that hurt you because the church is full of imperfect people and even imperfect leaders, and so you've been let down, and so you, you're not willing to put that trust again. Maybe it's because you don't like the idea of church structure. It sounds, sounds rigid, doesn't it? Okay, structure, aren't we just a community uh, of the Spirit? Shouldn't the Holy Spirit just kind of uh, lead us on? I just want to be in the freedom of Christ and led by the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Acts chapter 6, if you flip over there. I told you we're going to cover a lot of Scripture today, a lot of ground. You'll need to go back and look at these. Uh, Acts chapter 6 tells us about the early church. After Jesus has gifted his church, after Jesus has ascended, now how does the early church live out? And how is that direction for us, how we live out today? Acts chapter 2, if you were to go there, that's when uh, people get gripped by the gospel. The gospel is proclaimed and, and preached. The Spirit moves uh, in a mighty way as the Spirit comes on the people. Thousands and thousands of people are being saved. They're coming together as the church. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting in the temple. Amazing stuff. We want to be that kind of church. And we get to Acts 6. And it says this, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the church was getting big, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What was going on? Again, 
looking at those who were Greek and those who were Jews. The Hellenists were Greek Jews. And then there were Hebrew of Hebrew Jews. And apparently somewhere as thousands were coming and people were needing food and care, there was a little bit of favoritism or something was happening that the Hebrew people were getting fed and the Hellenists were not. And so there were complaints coming up. Hey, where's our food? All of this. I mean, we know this in the church. That as things get bigger, as things get chaotic, sometimes there are needs that aren't met. And so the 12, those are the apostles, the disciples who followed Jesus, they're the leaders of the early church, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now this kind of sounds a little high and mighty at the point, like we shouldn't do that menial work. That's not what's going on here. We talked about knowing our purpose, knowing our calling. The apostles had been sent specifically by Jesus to share the gospel, to preach, to proclaim, and to be people who sought God and then led the church in that. They're saying, that's our calling. We can't stop preaching the word because that's where people are are coming to know Jesus. But we have all these other needs. What are we to do? Therefore, brothers, pick out from you among seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will remain devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then read this. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests also became obedient to the faith. And so we see what happens here is that there is actually spirit-led organization to meet the practical needs in the church. That the word would still go out powerfully, that the prayers would still take place, that they would still seek God's direction, but that the needs would begin to be met. And the result of expanding the leadership in the church to meet these needs leads to two things. One is that the needs were actually met and practical life in the church was carried out as Jesus planned. And secondly, the gospel advanced. Many more were able to come because the Spirit had led now, you may hear that story and it may resonate with you. If you've lived in the church for any period of time, if you've gone to other churches or you've been in this church, there will be times where you say, yeah, I grasp feeling like my needs have not been met. I'm trying to disciple my children. I'm trying to care for them. I'm trying to teach them morals. I'm trying to teach them God's word. And I feel like ministry is sometimes lacking in what I need. Or sometimes you've been there, you know what? I'm hurting and nobody is coming to help me to care for me. And you haven't been cared for well. Or you say, I really want to learn God's word, but this, uh, I'm not getting it. I'm hearing on Sunday morning some stuff, but I'm not growing. I'm not getting what I need. Let me tell you a little bit about our church. This month, we are turning 14 years old, our 14-year anniversary. By God's grace, if you only knew by God's grace that we're here today. I wasn't the original pastor. There was another pastor for four years. Uh, I came in 10 years ago. It'll be my 10th. Uh, February, big things happen in February is what I always say here. 
Um, I became the pastor 10 years ago this February. And um, when I became the pastor here, I was finishing up my PhD dissertation at UC Davis, and I became uh, the lead pastor at age 27 um, here. I was literally spending uh, three days a week sorting through fish guts in the laboratory on campus and three days preparing sermons and trying to lead the church here. I finished my PhD, started diving here, but God, um, in his goodness, continued to grow the church under a, a young leader. And there are many times, I'll tell you, that um, as God continued to grow the church, feeling kind of head out of water, just being led by his grace, and um, we never really got our administrative legs under us early on. Um, I wish I could say we did. I, I saw myself as an organized person before I became a pastor, but some of that nature that came in there just, uh, we've been kind of unorganized since. And so by God's grace, we continue to hear the gospel. We continue to see the fruit. But a time comes when we need to be able to say, hey, this isn't good for me. This is not good for the people because the needs are not being met. And so how do we increase the organization of the church, that needs can be met, that the gospel can still go out effectively. So over the last couple years, we've been blessed to be able to add some great staff members to the team to expand leadership. In many ways, I feel like this is our Act 6 moment, where the church continues to increase in numbers, but there are still many needs, increasing numbers of needs that we need and so in our Acts 6 moment here, we go back, what is, the, what is the spiritual answer? It's prayer, of course, it's prayer, but it's also structure. And we as the elders of the church, who are kind of our primary leaders, in some ways um, the apostles of this local church, where we are to be about the ministry of the word and prayer, seeking God's direction and then leading in it. Uh, we need to say we can't give up the ministry of the word. I'll tell you, I, I've, I've done that over these years where what we receive on Sundays is less than I believe that it could be because of being pulled in many different directions. As we've added staff, that's gotten better and improved. But what we need to do is identify and empower other gospel-gripped, spirit-filled, specifically gifted men and women and call them to lead as God identifies. And so I want to get super practical here with the rest of our, our time. Super practical and say this, that we are expanding our leadership structure as a church to effectively meet the needs that you have and to effectively advance the gospel, to be the church that Christ has called us to be in reaching this city and changing our world. So I'm going to give you uh, some slides here about being super practical. This is uh, where our leadership structure begins. It's all about Jesus. He is over all. He is in all. He is through all. Okay? He is the cornerstone. We always look at him. He is the head of his church. He is the cornerstone. He is the good shepherd that always leads us. Now, he has appointed elders in this church. And then, of course, there is the group of church members that come together, gather in Christ. Say Now, we have uh, elders. We have three active elders right now. Um, they include myself. I am one of three elders. I'm not the ultimate authority in this church. We serve as a group, a plurality of leaders. Okay, it is myself. It is Justin Kenishoff and Jake Hosier. 
And if you look at these pictures and say, wow, that's too few number of elders, and those are too young to be elders, I would say we agree. And next week we're going to talk about what it means to be an elder. And I believe that God may lay it on some of your heart to say, you know what, God's calling me to aspire to that. That that will be my place in the church. Maybe not in six months, maybe not in a year, but in years down the line. God may call you somewhere. And so we're going to talk about that next week and what it means for our church to have uh, those elders. So we have elders and we have church members all under Jesus. There's another level, the next level, which includes our staff and our deacons. Okay, so we have um, staff here, and we're going to look at, look at them first. Um, there's some similarities between staff and deacons, okay, why they're on the same level. And it is uh, this. These are the Ephesians 4, where it says, God has gifted leaders to equip the saints, to equip the members of the body to be built up. These are the staff. They're the Ephesians 4, the equippers of the body. They're not the doers of all ministry. Uh, they are designated and appointed by the elders, both staff and deacons, and they are here to equip the people for ministry. Now, if you're trying to grasp this, uh, here is what I would say. This is probably a little bit too general, um, but what I would say is this. Elders oversee the ministry, okay, the church. Elders are overseers. Staff and deacons are facilitators of ministry, in that they make it happen, but we do not call them to do ministry. They are not just here to serve us. They are here to equip us to be our part in the body. And then the church congregation, they are the ones that do the work of ministry. Now, here we all do a little bit of ministry because we're all members of the body. But what is your place? Let's talk about staff for a moment. Staff are um, the paid Equippers of the saints here in this church. They are those who oversee large areas of ministry that require a lot of time. So we're not just paying them so that they serve us and meet our uh, every need in a given area, but we pay them so that they can devote time and still provide for their families because the ministries that they oversee require uh, a lot of time on a regular basis. So it's hard for them to have full-time jobs and to work here as, as well. We currently have six people on staff. I am, again, one of these. I kind of cross over between elder and staff. I'm both, and a link there. Uh, there are two of us who are paid for 40 hours of full-time uh, work each week. That includes myself and uh, our worship leader, Roly, who part of his job description is more than leading on a sun songs on a Sunday morning. He does much more than that. Um, and then we have four uh, part-time people who work 10 to 20 hours. You see the areas that they oversee. These are areas that we say these are important areas um, that are large areas. Now, they work through teams. Okay, they equip teams. So uh, when we see up here in worship, it's not just one guy leading in worship. It's a band that is equipped and leading uh, the team. When we look at uh, our discovery groups, we don't have one guy leading discovery groups. We have uh, a team of discovery group leaders and so on and so on. They work through teams which church members can be a part of. Okay? 
if you're still with me here, I know this gets a little bit tedious as we're talking about this. It's like, okay, am I in church lecture here? Um, but here, here's what you need to know. Today it may just seem like kind of random organizational thing, but there will be a day when this matters to you. When you say, I'm looking to fulfill my calling, who do I go to? Well, you need to know these people. The people that care for uh, your children. People that um, overlook and help you. Hopefully not overlook, uh, oversee and help, right? We don't want to be overlooked. So we need to, we need to know, because there will be a day when we feel we need to be cared for. Who do I go to for that? And there's another group um, that we want to talk about, uh, the deacons. Now, deacon, I try to really rack my brain this week. If there's any other place outside of church that you'd ever hear this word, and, and I don't know that there is. So it's a very churchy word, deacon. What, what is a deacon? It comes from a Greek word, diakonos, um, which really means servant. Now, the way the Bible speaks of deacons as servants is that it's not just a general servant. We're all hopefully servants who follow Jesus, and we all generally serve. Uh, but there's actually a group in the church, and we see this in Philippians uh, 1. Uh, we see that the letter of Philippians is addressed to the people of the church, but also to two offices, the elders and the deacons. So there is an office just like elders, just like staff, which staff is, is more of a modern construct in our world. But the deacons are a very biblical term that's laid out there. In fact, Romans 16 verse 1 says that there was uh, a woman named Phoebe who served as a deacon in the church. 1 Timothy 3 lays out very specifically, after first laying out qualifications for elders, lays out qualifications for the deacons, that these are to be qualified people. As Acts 6 said, that there are people of repute, filled with the Holy Spirit, showing those evidences, faithful and so somewhere between Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, there's this kind of organization to the church that says, deacons, Timothy, appoint deacons, because this will help the church. So as we looked at all of the needs here, about six months ago, we really began praying in earnest to say, how is it that the church moves forward? God laid it on our heart to not only have staff, but also have deacons. We prayed and discussed for many months. We talked among leaders, and we uh, have come to the point today um, where we are announcing three deacons, deacons that have been tested according to qualifications laid out in Scripture, deacons who have shown faithfulness over many, many years, deacons who are specifically gifted to be able to meet real needs in the church, they are faithful servant leaders shaped and gifted by God, appointed by the elders to build up the body, to meet needs, and to advance the gospel. Take a look. My husband Craig and I have been married for about 13 years, which is about the same length of time we've been attending Church of Discovery. We live in Woodland and have two kids, Charlotte and Luke. And when I am not running them to and from school and around town, I work part-time as a physician assistant in a local emergency room. Yeah, so I'm married to Kate. Uh, we have two kids, a son, Caleb, who will be three next month, and a daughter who's gonna be born next month as well, hopefully. Um, I 
have been with Discovery for about two and a half years, and in my work world, I help administer energy research programs. I'm a CPA, uh, which is a certified public accountant. I work in Sacramento at a national CPA firm uh, as a tax manager. Married to my darling wife, Rebecca. Been married for five years, and for about three and a half of those years, we've lived in Davis and been going to Discovery that whole time. And we just had our first child, little son Arthur, who's just about seven months old. And uh, you can stop by and see him, hopefully during church, he's really chubby and cute. Since my giftings are primarily in administration and serving type things, I'm not so sure there's any major events in life that have directed me towards that. Um, I, I just naturally tend to those things. Um, in college, I started noticing how much the background details um, of operating things actually really matter and how often those were neglected and the practical impact that had on events and um, people and organizations. And so I kind of tended to gravitate towards those things. Um, knowing that and my natural affinity to <laughs> avoid um, attention and oftentimes people have made serving, especially in background positions and administration type work, something that I enjoy doing. And obviously I have some uh, professional experience. Uh, I, before I was a tax accountant, I helped some small businesses run their, their books, but I think it's more important that uh, God's really, in my own life, taught me how to rely on His provision. And uh, yeah, sometimes we get caught up in, in the day-to-day -day and what we can do, but God's always teaching us how to rely on Him, and I think that's important to bring into any area of ministry. I really wanted to be a part of the care team at Discovery because God has given me a real tenderness for people who are going through suffering, um, grief, pain, feelings of isolation, loneliness, depression, whatever it may be. And I'm sure that's born out of my own life experiences. I've had a number of losses in my life, and as I have gone through those, and walked through the grief that followed, um, I learned how Jesus can speak into your sorrow and into your pain. And I guess I want to share that with other people and be an encouragement to them. And I just want to continue to turn people back to really the one source of our, our healing and our hope, and that's Jesus. My hope for a discovery is that we would realize we're building something that is of spiritual and eternal value. Uh, obviously, I look at numbers quite a bit, but behind that, we're really trying to follow what God says about storing up uh, treasures in heaven and reaping and sowing in a way that has an eternal impact. So, my hope is that we wouldn't look at what we have, uh, what we can do the events that we can put on, but that we would look at the impact that we're having on people's lives, uh, which is much more important and also brings us to our knees more often. Uh, the numbers God can work out, um, but the rest uh, we need to, to be diligent and obedient in. My hope as I move forward in this ministry is that um, the leadership of Discovery would have more tools available to them to make serving and leading easier and organizing simpler. Uh, the people at Discovery would be able to feel more welcome, 
and have better opportunities to serve and be easier to mobilize. Um, and then also that um, we, you and I, as the body of Christ, would be, have a better capacity to love and point towards Jesus. I'm really excited to see what God is going to do through the care team at Discovery. As our team got together and talked about our mission and our vision and we prayed through it, it became clear that one of our major goals was to make church a really safe place for sad people, for broken people, hurting people. Uh, we want to meet people in the hard places and provide practical, emotional, and spiritual support and love them well in really hard seasons. And we want to remind people that their, their stuff is not too much for us and it's certainly not too much for God. Well, church, would you join me in welcoming these three deacons onto the stage here? Where are you at, guys? Um, as as I saw in the video, some of what they will be doing needs that have been identified. Um, we have uh, Mark Kustra, um, who will be uh, helping with some of those organizational support things. That's a little bit more uh, general, but uh, we know the ideas that that uh, if things aren't functioning smoothly, um, it doesn't allow ministry to happen. We have uh, Caleb who is helping to resource the vision uh, of taking us, us forward here and leading us in that way. And then Anne-Marie who is um, focused with a heart of care. And so we want to we wanna do um, today uh, what we see in scripture and pray over them to, uh, as elders. This is Justin, by the way, one of our other elders. We're going to lay hands on them, commissioning them uh, for the work uh, that we have. So church, would you uh, join us? Uh, just bow on your heads for this time of prayer. Lord, we, um, we come before you this morning, and God, I just uh, I want to thank you for your provision in providing uh, just Mark and Caleb, Lord, and uh, just the giftings that you have given them of administration and finance, and uh, God, I, I give you thanks for this time of testing that they've had over these years, God, of, of really providing for your church, God, the practical needs. God, I give you praise for their hearts um, and uh, just desiring to give you all that they have. Uh, for uh, providing that, that service uh, to your church, God, to equip your saints for the, for, for the work of ministry. God, I pray over Mark, God, as, uh, as he continues to use his administrative gifts, God, I pray that they may be uh, reliant upon the Holy Spirit and not upon his own abilities, God. I pray that he may remain full of the Spirit, God, that he may remain uh, just completely devoted to you, God, completely devoted to your word, completely devoted to your presence. God, I pray that everything that he does is, is out of a passion, out of a love for you. God, I pray over Caleb that he too may be full of the Spirit, that he may too be devoted uh, to your word, devoted to your presence, that he may cling to you, God, uh, especially in these times of having a, a small child, a, a new child. God, I, I pray for uh, just his heart to be close to you. I pray over his area of ministry with the finances, God, that you may keep his heart pure in that area. God, that you may help us to... Uh, to be good stewards of everything that we have, God. And I pray that you may use him uh, to be a, uh, just to be a shepherd, God, in, in how we, uh, in teaching us how to use our finances, God, and uh, that everything that we do, as you said in the video, God, is out of a love for you, God, out of a devotion for you, God, I give you praise. God, I do give you thanks for, uh, for these three, um, the example of, of servanthood, 
the example of humility that they have all displayed, the example of faithfulness. God, we pray for their families uh, as they step forward to serve. We know that, they're, uh, that we have an enemy who will uh, throw things at us. So God, I pray that you would protect them during this season, that you would watch over them. God, I thank you uh, for Anne-Marie, for, for the 12 years that, that I've known her, that she's uh, walked uh, in this, this church, has remained faithful through ups and downs. Um, God, the way that uh, I've seen her walk through the situations in her life, the losses, the griefs, God, uh, and that you have been shaping her, you've been preparing her, for the work that you have for her now. God, I pray that through her that uh, teams would be equipped. I pray that through her, uh, individuals would be able to step forward to, to serve and, and use their gifts of care for others. But I pray also uh, that many would experience your heart, would experience your arms, your love through her and the ministry that she leads. God, I, I thank you. I thank you that you shape us, that you lead us, that we can be about your glory, about your goodness. God, I pray that as we step forward from here, all of us would have a newfound hope, a newfound sense of purpose and trust in you, Jesus, that you are bringing us together, uh, that we are your body and we are doing your work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go. I... I understand you may have still a lot of questions about deacons. We have actually written a, a position paper on deacons that goes through some of the questions that you may have. That's posted it, uh, online on our webpage. You can just say, it says, who leads the church? And you go in there and it will um, uh, have uh, an explanation of some things. But here's what we want you to know. Um, one, not only to identify those leaders that will help you to serve in your giftings, uh, as we've talked about uh, over these past weeks, um, but we also want you to know that you uh, have a place in, in nominating deacons to meet needs as well. And so uh, the elders have appointed uh, these first three, but if there's people that you say, hey, these are people who, who are gifted, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who can meet some needs in the church. We still have a lot of needs. We haven't solved them all with three people here. Oh, we are just taking steps forward to expand in this structure um, to be able to say, God, how can we do what uh, you want to do? They have a place. Um, we all have a place in the household of God. As God saves us through Jesus, he calls us to be a part of his body, to, to be a part of his household, to uh, find our place there. So throughout these couple weeks, I, so I just ask you, what is your place? What is your place in the household of God? What, what are your gifts and how have you been shaped? How can you step forward to serve? Will you seek your place? As we go through this, Jesus died for his church. He's called us his own. He's brought us together. And now we're about his work for his glory. But we're going to move into our time of communion as we wrap up this sermon, as we, we wrap up this morning. Um, communion is a time when we come, we take bread and juice. There's tables um, that we come and we dip a piece of bread and juice for those of us who uh, have known the grace and salvation in Jesus. We come and we remember, this is very much a table that Jesus invited to us, us to in the household of God. And I would just encourage, for those of you who, who know Jesus and, and follow him and know his sacrifice for you, that you would use this time to have some conversation with your Savior, the one who went to the cross for you, and just have that conversation of, God, Jesus, what's my place in your church? 
Some of you may be feeling some of those old hurts, those old wounds coming up again. Talk to Jesus about them. Maybe this would be a time of healing for you. We say, I know the church is imperfect people and I'm one of them, but Jesus, lead me. Walk me through this. We pray that this would be a place of grace where we come together. Jesus, thank you for your grace towards each one of us, for the truth of your gospel that we can remember when we were far off, when we were hopeless, when we had no direction in this world. And Jesus, how you opened our eyes, how you opened our hearts to see you, to know your sacrifice, to call us to be your son and daughter for all eternity, to welcome us into your household, to live that out here and now on this earth as your church. Jesus, we want to glorify you. We want to honor you. We want to live worthy of the calling that you've given us. Help us to know our place. Help us to dwell together in a perfect unity that comes not from ourselves, but from your spirit. And may we be about your glory, about advancing your gospel. Jesus, may you be glorified in your church, in each one of us as we come together. Jesus, we give you our lives. May we honor you. In your name we pray, amen. Church, come to the tables as you're ready. Take a moment of reflection if you need to do that. There'll be some people to pray for you um, if, if you need that as well.